can you join me in thanking God for this amazing gospel choir? God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Praise the Lord. On this last Sunday of Black History Month, I'm reminded of the history of impact that gospel music has had on the whole of Christianity, but also on the globe. To this day, gospel choirs and gospel music are still allowed in places where the gospel itself is not allowed. And I heard just yesterday of a gospel choir that was starting in China, and there were people coming to be part of the choir that had no understanding of Jesus, but by singing gospel music, they came into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so we thank God for the many ways that he uses this rich tapestry of culture to allow the gospel to impact culture until Christ comes for us again. I am so delighted to be with you today. So, so excited. I, I, uh, I just, I walked myself into my embarrassing moment. I was preaching at this church for a women's conference. Chris, I was all excited. It was like all these women. I was like, I'm so excited to be here. All the women say ho. Then it was kind of quiet, and I was like, I mean, hey. So sometimes my excitement like gets ahead of me. I'm like, come back, wait, wait. <laughs> but it is such a joy to be in Seattle. It is such a joy to be at UPC. It is such a blessing to be with you. And I am excited that my friends, Pastor Aaron and Michelle, are here as well. I thank the Lord for them. I have had the blessing of getting to know them over the past four years, I think. Um, and they've become like family to me and to my husband. They are gifts to the body of Christ, and it warms my heart to know that you have embraced them and that they have a great, that their value is seen and amplified here. So thank you for your love for them. Um, thank you for loving them because we love them. We love, we love the Williams, and I'm so grateful. I am super delighted that Chris invited me here today. Chris Nichols was in my class at Gordon-Conwell. Uh, I joked with him, I'm used to seeing a bookshelf behind him because we have a hybrid program where students can engage online, and Chris was one of those students. And he brought such rich, richness to the classroom. And every once in a while, God allows a sacred exchange where people who bless you, um, that you get to bless them. And it was a blessing for me to pour into Chris, and now he has blessed me by allowing me to be here, and I'm so, so grateful, grateful for that. I um, love Jesus, and I love my family. I mean, I love my family. My husband and I have been married, it'll be 10 years, coming up in May, and now uh, we are so, so, so excited celebrating all year long. He is authentically my best friend, um, and he today has the hardest job. I am speaking for services and speaking tomorrow, but he has the hardest job because he has our five and seven-year-olds. And so we thank the Lord for him. He sent me a text and said, all is well, the kids have eaten, they're down for quiet time, and I'm watching you online. Yes, score. Secretly, I was thinking I've trained him well, but outwardly, I'm like, what a great man. <laughs> 
He is an amazing man. He's got those girls, and I just thank God for him. And usually when I travel to preach, my husband comes with me, but this time I am especially delighted that my niece has come with me. My niece Cadence is here with me, and I am so, so excited. She is a joy and a blessing. She is growing in her relationship with God, and I could think of no better way to spend time with her than to bring her here to be with you. So I'm very, very grateful for that. I joked my sister, my younger sister, is very, very tall. Um, So I call her my big little sister, and she has very tall children. And so this is like my big little niece, because she's like super tall, I'm super exciting. And since I have a microphone, I can embarrass her right here. So lovely. It's lovely embarrassing people with microphones. But I'll walk away now, walk away from the embarrassment. (laughs) Well, thank God for this, and thank God for your amazing pastor, for Pastor Hamilton, did I say it right? Hinman, Lord help us. (laughs) Pastor Hinman, will you redeem me and praise God for your pastor, Pastor Hinman. I'm so glad for the privilege that he's extended to me to be here with you today. All right, the word of the Lord this morning comes from John chapter 20. John chapter 20. I'm going to be reading from verse 24 through 31. 24 through 31. And I'm going to read the New Revised Standard Version, one of my favorite translations particularly because it does a wonderful job with both uh, gender-inclusive language for humanity and sticking to Greek and and, uh, Hebrew and Aramaic as much as possible. So this is an excellent, excellent version of scripture. And I am delighted to read it today. When you found the word of the Lord, say amen. Amen. John chapter 20, beginning in verse 24. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the 12, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Reach your hand and put it into my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing, you may have life in his name. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I wanna share this morning from the topic, Doubt as a Divine Doorway. Let us pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for the gift of being together on this day for such a time as this. I thank you, Lord, for all of the worship that's preceded this moment, and we thank you, Lord, now for your word. We pray that you would let your word go forth. Let it pour down upon us. Let it saturate our hearts and not return to you void. And we do pray that this word, this seed, would bring forth harvest in our lives, some 30, some 60, some 100-fold. And even before you do it, we thank you 
We thank you for transformation. We thank you for your word. We thank you for life. And we thank you for this time. Have your way in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Every believer struggles with doubt. I hope this is not new news to you, but it is indeed true. It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter how long you've been with the Lord, how educated you are, how, uh, um, how smooth or how smart or how gifted you are. Every believer at some point in his or her life will struggle with doubt. And, and while I know that I can and should trust God, I confess that there are times when I doubt him. And while I know in my mind that God is real, sometimes it takes a little while for my heart to catch up. And while I'm absolutely convinced that God is good, sometimes I wonder if God will be good to me. Or maybe if God will be good in the way that I perceive his goodness. Yes, I I confess that I too have moments when I struggle with doubting God. And the good thing is we are not alone. In fact, it could be said that every person in the Bible struggled with doubting God in some way. Uh, Abraham doubted that God would protect him. That's why he offered Sarah as his sister. Sarah doubted that God would give her a child. That's why she laughed when the visitors came and prophesied the truth. Isaac doubted that God would bring him a wife, moved so far away from his family, he didn't even think he would move and have legacy. Jacob doubted that his brother would forgive him. That's why he sent a band of gifts before him. Moses doubted that he could lead God's people. Gideon doubted that God would use him. Barak doubted that he could be victorious. Throughout all of biblical history, many great women and men have struggled with doubting God. Can God really do that? Will God really go before me? Is God really there? Or better yet, did God really say that? Before the doubts of Abraham and Sarah, before the disbelief of Rebecca and Jacob, there was in the Garden of Eden a doubting serpent. And it was this serpent who planted doubt's first seed within humanity with one simple question, did God really say that? Before we know it, the entrance of sin changes everything for all of us. Left unchecked, this seed of doubt, a small seed of doubt, can grow into a tree of sin that produces more seed with every passing moment. And if we're not careful, doubt produces sin and sin produces more doubt. With just one small seed of uncontrolled doubt, we can find ourselves in a whirlwind of disbelief a whirlwind that leads us farther and farther away from God's truth. Does God really exist? If he exists, why did he let that happen to them? Why did God let this happen to me? Is my life worth living? Norman Geisler wrote a book entitled, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. And his premise was not that he didn't have doubts about God. His premise was that he doubted science more than he doubted God. He doubted rationality and human reasoning more than he doubted divine reality. In a way, Geisler was saying that even a lack of faith takes faith. Even saying there is no God takes faith. 
And Geisler suggests that it's actually easier to believe that God exists than it is to believe that God is nowhere to be found. Even strong Christians wrestle with this faith in the presence of doubt. And the more that I walk with God, the more I find that there's this unnatural distance between what I believe up here and what I know in here. And scientists say there's about uh, 19 inches between the location of the brain and the location of the heart. But when it comes to doubt and when it comes to wrestling with our faith, those inches can feel like miles. And it is indeed possible to believe God up here and to doubt God in here. We can trust God in theory and doubt God in practice. We can trust God for other people and doubt God for ourselves. I know God will heal you, but will he heal me? I know God will provide for all of his people, but will he provide for me? In the 19 inches between the head and the heart, we can trust God on the macro and doubt him on the micro. We can trust him universally and doubt him individually. This distance means it is possible to love God and doubt God at the same time. It's possible to serve God and struggle to trust God at the same time. I can trust that God is faithful and doubt that he'll be faithful to me. I can trust that God can do it and, and doubt that he'll do it for me. Have you ever been there? It can kind of feel a bit like a, a tension within. God, as, as the man in scripture says, God, I, I trust you. I want to believe. Help my unbelief. And sometimes, friends, we need God to help our unbelief. Because what the enemy would love more than anything in the world is for your unbelief to become higher than your faith. You do know that we have an enemy. We have an enemy. He is the devil. His name is Satan. And his purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy us. And what better opportunity for the enemy than to steal, kill, and destroy us from the inside out? Because the moment we stop trusting God, It's the moment we stop trusting in God's plan. When we stop trusting in God's plan, we stop trusting in eternity. And if we don't trust in eternity, then this right here is all there is. But God says that this, what you see, is not what you get. In the presence of the Lord, what we see with our eyes is not all there is. We serve a God who is larger and bigger and more eternal than we could ever imagine. And God reminds us that it doesn't take a mountain of faith. It takes a mustard seed of faith to believe and to know and to trust God. And so God has to deal with our doubt so that our doubt doesn't overshadow our faith. And how how does God deal with our doubts? Well, this is why I'm so grateful for Thomas today. Thomas becomes this beautiful example of how God deals with our doubts so that doubt doesn't overshadow our faith. As one of the 11 disciples who witnessed Jesus' death on the cross, Thomas struggled with unparalleled doubt, but he also had incomparable despair. Like all of the disciples, Thomas left everything to follow Jesus, He left family, he left job, he left vocation, he left his sense of self, he left everything to follow Jesus, only to see the Savior lifted on a cross, crucified, and buried in a grave. For Thomas, his hope 
died on that cross. His expectations died on that cross. And when the disciples came to him to tell him that Jesus was indeed risen, Thomas was too hurt to hear it. When they tried to explain that Jesus was no longer dead, Thomas's doubt overshadowed his faith. He said, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand in his side, I will not believe. His doubts were so heavy, his unbelief was so real that he gave an ultimatum for his faith. Unless I see, I will not believe. And it's a dangerous place to be when we put ultimatums on our faith with God. But I thank God that God did not push Thomas away. God did not disqualify Thomas because of doubt. God did not put Thomas out of the room or write him a, a history that says we're written out of the book. No, God invited Thomas in. And as God invited Thomas in with all of his doubts and all of his despair, with all of his pain and all of his issues, so too, friends, God invites us in. And today, God reminds us there is no question too big, there is no doubt too small that God doesn't say, bring it here. So how? How does God deal with our doubts? Well, the first thing that I think the scripture suggests is God deals with our doubts by allowing our doubts to be a doorway to community. God allows our doubts to be a doorway to community. You see, John chapter 20 is all about God moving people from doubt to belief. It started with Mary, who doubted that Christ was risen and then turned it to belief when she saw Christ for herself. Then it went to the disciples, John and Peter, rushing to the grave, and it turned to belief when they were able to talk to the angels and later see Christ for himself. You see, Thomas wasn't the only one who doubted. Everyone doubted. And everyone needed to believe. But Thomas was not there to hear Mary's news. He was not there to hear Peter and John confirm what Mary said. While everyone was together, still fearful, but together, Thomas was alone. You see, sometimes grief and anguish, sometimes pain has a way of isolating us, pushing us aside, making us feel like nobody understands what we think about, what we go through, or the pain that we feel. But God did something miraculous between verse 25 and verse 26. Verse 25, we still met the doubting Thomas, but in verse 26, it's doubting Thomas, not alone, but in community. You see, God used Thomas's doubt. Thomas had to find a way to let someone else know what he was going through. And when the disciples encountered Thomas, he was able to share with them all of his doubts, all of his questions, and thank God, because of whatever they said to him, they brought him back into community. And we cannot rush over this blessed gift of Christ who shows up in community. And in this world that is hyper-isolated, in this world where you can have 5,000 friends and feel so alone, God says, I've given you a gift, a gift of community, a gift where you don't have to be perfect, but you can be received, a gift where you don't have to have answers, but you can bring your questions, where you don't have to have everything figured out, but here in community, there'll be at least one person who has seen what you cannot see, who knows what you don't yet know and can help you see what God wants you to see. It made me think about a time 
when my uh, oldest daughter was on her way to kindergarten, she'll be, she's in first grade now, but I'll never forget kindergarten orientation. We were sitting in the library of the school and I am, you know, um, I love Jesus and I have a relationship with the Lord and I read the word and I'm a minister and I was freaking out. I mean, like authentic, like panic, like, you know, walking up to the stairs of the school and my blood pressure started to rise and the sweat started coming out of nowhere because, you know, when you get really nervous, you sweat like out of nowhere. And so I'm sweating out of nowhere and I was sitting in the tiny, tiny, tiny little chairs. Why don't they bring out the big chairs, by the way? I'm like, you know, you're, you're going down, down, down. You're like, I'm gonna need help getting up. So I'm sitting in the tiny, tiny chairs in this big, big auditorium and I'm looking around at all the books and I'm thinking, how will my little baby girl handle all of this? And they're giving all the instructions and they're talking about lunch. And I had this visual of her getting her lunch tray and dropping the lunch tray and the bullies laughing at her. And I'm freaking out and my mind is out of control. And in the middle of my freak out, I look across the room and I made eye contact with Lindsay. Lindsay is a student at Gordon-Conwell who happened to be at the kindergarten orientation. And while my mind was racing with all of my doubts and issues, after the orientation, I came to see Lindsay and she was so cool. She said, hey, how you doing? I said, I'm freaking out. <laughs> she said, don't worry. I've got a third grader here and a first grader here and my youngest is coming to kindergarten. And I gotta tell you, it's scary, but you make it. They make it and you make it and everything will be all right. And because of the grace of God, I was introduced to community where I could bring my doubts to someone else, where I could come out of my isolation of my mind and bring myself into conversation. And because of that conversation, I encountered the comfort of Christ. And God does this for us all the time, that in community, we can, count, we can encounter the comfort of Christ. We do not grieve alone. In community, we have others who bear our griefs. We do not have to have sorrow alone. In community, we can bear one another's sorrow. When we are in community with Christ, God allows us to see what we cannot see and to know what we cannot know. In fact, Paul says, I pray together with all the saints you may know the height and the width and the depth and the breadth of the love of God, and you may know together what you could never know alone. Friends, when we bring our doubts to God, God allows our doubts to be a doorway to community. Not only that, but the text, I think, suggests that when we bring our doubts to God, God uses them as a doorway to confession, to confession. There's something quite miraculous that happens in this text. And it's not just that Jesus appears out of nowhere. Did you notice that? Did you catch that when we were reading? It says the disciples were gathered in a room and the door was closed and Jesus appeared. <laughs> I love that. Sometimes we look in rooms in our lives, the theoretical rooms of our lives, and we say there is no door, but God doesn't need a door to show up. God doesn't need a key to unlock things in our lives. We serve a miraculous God who can show up at any time, at any given moment, even without a key. And so Jesus shows up between them. And the miracle is not just limited to the fact that he says, shalom, peace be with you. It is not just limited to the fact that he turns to Thomas and invites him to touch his hands and his side. The miracle, I believe, is also in the confession that Thomas makes. After encountering Jesus, 
this doubting disciple, this disciple who was once in despair alone and now despairs within community, this disciple who was downtrodden and almost forgotten had touched Jesus and here's the miracle. After touching Jesus, he says, my Lord and my God. And in this moment, it's as if Thomas realized he wasn't just doubting the miracles. He didn't just doubt that the cross meant anything. Thomas doubted that Jesus was Lord. Thomas doubted that Jesus was God. And I believe at the core of all of our doubts, if we were to spiral every doubt down, our core doubt is over the Lordship of Jesus and over whether or not Jesus is God. When I think about how I measure my days and when I think about how I wanna plan out my schedule and I doubt whether or not God will make something work, the real question is, is Jesus Lord over this? Is he God in this? And if we were to crack down all of our doubts, at the core, this is the question, is Jesus Lord and is he God? Reminds me of a story a friend was telling me about, about this beautiful couple that was celebrating their 50th wedding anniversary. And the husband of this couple decided to celebrate the anniversary by taking his wife on a trip and surprising her without telling her any details. See, I heard it in the crowd, like, uh-oh. Uh, he could have uh, you know, married, married hus husbands. Yeah, yeah, God bless you. It's one thing to surprise your wife. It's another thing to like not tell her any details. And every marriage is not the same. But sometimes um, we like to have details just every once in a while, just kind of figure things out. So in the story... The husband tells his wife, come on, let's get in the car. We're gonna go for a ride. It's early in the morning. She says, okay. So she gets in the ride and they're talking, talking. After about an hour, she says, um, sweetheart, where are we going? He says, just go for the ride. I have something for you. After about another hour, she says, um, honey, are you lost? He says, just relax and go for the ride. After about another hour, the outward talk became inward talk. You know that shift in the car where it's like from chatty chatty to absolute silence? And that woman began to think in her mind, he is lost. He always gets lost. I know he doesn't know where he, we're going. Did he even pack clothes? We've been gone for three hours now. Where are we supposed to stay? I should have brought my rollers. I mean, all kinds of things in her mind. After another hour... The doubting of what he did started doubting who he was. I knew it. My mother was right 50 years ago. She said, you be careful with that boy. And here we are out in the middle of nowhere. I don't know where we're going. Haven't eaten for three hours. I don't even know if he's lost or not. He's not telling me where to go. And on and on and on until they arrived. And they arrived at their destination and I'm told the butler opened the door and said, ma'am, welcome to your anniversary resort. We have everything prepared for you. And at that moment, the wife turns to her husband and said, I never doubted you for one minute. <laughs> we, we can be like that wife sometimes. We can be like that woman when God takes us on journeys and we're not sure exactly where things are going. We can be just like that woman and God takes his time and doesn't answer all of our questions. And when the journey goes on longer than we would expect, don't we do that with God? God, I wanna trust you, but I don't believe you know what you're doing. I wanna believe you, but I don't see things working out. Didn't you hear me praying five days ago? Why haven't you answered my question? 
But to us, God says, as this confession is made at the end of the journey, we don't have to wait for the end of the journey. We can make our confession now that he is Lord. He knows what he's doing. He knows where he's going. And even when the destination doesn't look right in our eyes, we can still trust him. We can still believe him because Jesus is Lord. And yes, he is God. And so our doubts can be a doorway to community. God uses our doubts as a doorway to that confession. But lastly, God uses our doubts as a doorway to commissioning, a doorway to his great commission. Again, there are so many layers of miracles in this text. So many layers of things that seem impossible that God made possible. And it doesn't stop at the touching of Jesus' hand. It doesn't stop at Thomas making the confession. It goes on when Jesus continues the conversation. And he says to Thomas, um, you've touched me, and in my paraphrase, and you believe, but the reason why you believe is because you've touched. Blessed are those who have not seen, who have not touched, and those who believe. And at first glance, it feels like Thomas is given an indictment. It's, it feels like punishment. It feels like Jesus is saying, shame on you. I can't believe you had to do this. Other people who didn't have to do this are better than you. But if God is not one of condemnation, and he's not, condemnation is not from the Lord. If it is not con condemnation, what if Jesus was giving Thomas an invitation what if what he was saying, because you have seen, because you have touched, now go and tell those who have not seen, who have not touched, so that they might experience me as you have. You see, part of this miracle, I believe, is the fact that Jesus took this doubting, despairing disciple and turned him into a witness. Who trusts doubting, despairing people to be witnesses and representatives? Aren't there better ways to represent God? But God in this miraculous way chooses us in our brokenness, in our imperfections and says, go and tell everyone who I am. And part of our doubting is not just about God. Sometimes the greatest doubt is we doubt ourselves. Who am I to tell someone about God? I don't know all there is to know about Jesus. What if I say the wrong words? What if I tell the women to say ho oh, by accident? What if I mess up the pastor's name? What if I get out there and make an absolute fool of myself? What if I don't represent God in the way I think God needs to be represented? And to us, God says, it's not about what you do. It's about who you are. And in me, you are the head and not the tail. In me, you are made in the image of God. And when you know who you are, then you can speak boldly of what you have seen and what you have heard. And sometimes we get a little daunted by the miracles of God. Sometimes we get daunted by testimony. But God tells us in Revelation,
oppression, we overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. And I want you to know today, you have a testimony. God woke you up this morning. That's a testimony. God put breath in your body. That's a testimony. Has God healed anybody here today? That's a testimony. Has God made a way for anybody today? That's a testimony. And Jesus says, now go therefore and tell the world, in my paraphrase, that you have a testimony. You have an experience with God and you're not the same. And this is the joy of God using our doubts, that he doesn't ask for perfection. He asks for our willingness. He doesn't ask for everything to be right. He asks for everything to just go. He says, go into the world and tell them that Jesus lives and he's coming back for us again. He wants the called out to be the sent out. He wants the disciples to be the declarers, the ones who proclaim that Jesus is alive. And it doesn't matter that you still have doubts. God says, talk about me anyway. It doesn't matter that you have questions. God says, tell the world about me anyway. Because even in the midst of Thomas's doubts, God commissioned him. And scholars tell us that Thomas was one of the greatest evangelists all throughout India, telling everyone what he had seen and what he'd heard and how he had touched the Lord. And if you're here today, and maybe you've been wrestling with your doubts, maybe you've got big questions about God, maybe you've got big questions about yourself, God says, just bring it here. Because when you bring me your doubts, I'll bring you into community. When you bring me your doubts, I'll, I'll send you out on commission. I'll, I'll, I'll allow you to make the confession. And when you bring me your doubts, I'll remind you that even in the midst of all you think that's doubt, there's still a mustard seed of faith. And God reminds us in his, in his word that we can move mountains with that mustard seed. So I wanna encourage you today, remember who God is. Remember who you are in him. Bring him every question that you have. And at the end of the day, when we stand before the Lord, we will not be judged because we had questions. We will be assessed by how much we believed in the midst of those questions. Lord, we believe. Lord, we believe. Help our unbelief. God, thank you so much. Thank you for the gift of your presence. Thank you for the reminder that we don't have to have everything perfectly right. Thank you for reminding us that it's okay to have questions and that not all of them will be answered on this side. But in the midst of our doubts, in the midst of our pain, in the midst of our despair and our questions, we, we bring our full selves to you. And we ask, Lord, that you would pour out your grace upon us, that you would lead us into community, that you would help us to make that confession, that you would send us out, and that we would be willing to bear witness of all we have seen and all that we've heard, because Lord, you are good, and you are faithful, and we trust that you are real. Have your way, in Jesus' name we pray, and let the redeemed of the Lord say, amen.